0: Hello everybody, welcome to the Dharma Toolkit with me Chandra Dasa and my colleague and friend Sadae Sihi. We're with you again for episode two of our daily community check-ins as it were. Some good company for you to keep you going through the utter weirdness of the international shutdown, lockdown, whatever it's called, where you live. How are you doing Sadae Sihi?
1: I'm good. Well it's Monday so yes, beginning of the week I'm always my favourite time.
0: It was quite a big day for us, isn't it? We managed to get off the ground the twice daily meditations that we're going to be running for the foreseeable future. And that went kind of without a hitch, didn't it? That was great.
1: Yeah, that was very exciting, actually. So I was leading the first sit, which was taking place at 7.30 in UK and Ireland. And I wasn't sure how many people would turn up. I know there had been a lot of promotion, a lot of word getting around about it, and it seemed like people were interested, but you never really know until people actually turn up. So I was there 15 minutes beforehand. There was maybe 10 people, but then as we got closer to half seven, suddenly numbers shot up phenomenally. And I think at one point there was 121 people online, which was wonderful. And then people started sending messages just saying where they were from. We tried to, to speak into the space, but obviously... 120 people speaking at once just wouldn't have worked. So people started sending messages in the chat box. We had people from Norway, from Romania, from Italy, from Australia, from New Zealand, Poland, the UK obviously, Ireland. It was just wonderful. It was really, really wonderful. And also just meditating then, having people having their video on, just seeing people's faces as we meditated together. It just felt really special. It was, yeah, it was really, really good way to start a Monday. And a really good way to start this week, given all that's going on, to feel connected with others.
0: I took the second sit this morning, which was this morning, US time on the East Coast, which was also intended to be a kind of lunchtime, early afternoon sit in Europe. And particularly to give access to people in India who would be meditating with us in the evening. And I'm sad to say I don't actually know how many people from that region came because, try as I might, nobody would write in the text box where they came from. The great irony was one of the few people who did said, hey, I'm from Scotland. <laughs> that that. And then the other person said, I'm from the USA. And I was like, OK, well, that's that. We had 50 people in the second set. So, I mean, it was really great relief, actually, that 160 people, give or take, showed up and stayed through till the end of the sit both times. That was really fantastic. It felt really moving just to see everybody's faces and... There was a great relief also in just sitting in silence together. You know, the whole thing is so strange. The whole context is so strange. There was something kind of fitting about just seeing each other and stopping together. Stopping and, if not realising, then at least pausing. I was telling Sadaasihi in the team meeting afterwards that the first person I ever went on a Dharma event with turned up in the meditation. And I saw her face appear on the screen. I thought... Oh my goodness, that's amazing. She's an order member now called Satchavatri. That was lovely.
1: I noticed there were a couple of people actually who went to both sits because I also came to the second sit. That was quite nice to see that, you know, some people are really taking the opportunity to practice.
0: So here we are again. This is day two of our podcast. We're going to do this each weekday. And we've got a new set of friends, a new set of voices, a new set of guests with their own stories and experience of what it is to practice Buddhism, practice the Dharma deal with reality in the new reality that we're all sharing in the coronavirus time. So I'd like to welcome Shudayu.
2: Hi, this is Shudayu. I live in Kittery Point in Maine, which is on the east coast of the United States. I work full time for Dharma Initiatives. I work for Aryaloka Buddhist Retreat Center, which is in Newmarket, New Hampshire, about a half an hour's drive from my house. I'm the center manager there, and I also work for the Portsmouth Buddhist Center, where I am the chair. And Portsmouth Buddhist Center is just over the bridge from my house, about a 10-minute drive. And we just got a new space in Portsmouth. In January, we signed a a five-year lease. (laughs) came in very excited to open a new center and within three months we've had to close because of the coronavirus. So we've gone online like everybody else and are trying to do the best we can to maintain a sense of community and connection during this time.
0: Yes. On that note, let's welcome our other guest from the same region of the United States, Shradhavani.
3: Hi. Yeah, my name is Shraddhavani, and I live in Portsmouth and I'm retired from paying work, but I do quite a bit to support the Buddhist center here in Portsmouth. I'm pretty newly ordained. I was ordained in 2018, so I'm still kind of wet behind the ears, but all my friends in Portsmouth are helping me learn the ropes, and yeah, I'm really glad to be on this conversation.
0: Thank you, Shadavani. And I could make all sorts of jokes about last and definitely least, but that would be unfair to <laughs> my friend. And erstwhile adventurer, Jnana Garba.
4: You're a very mean man. Hello, my name's Jnana Garba. I'm in the UK. I live in London. I live in a little bit of London called Charlton, and nobody has any idea where that is. But it's next door to Greenwich, which is where time comes from. I used to be a professional Buddhist. I used to run Buddhist centers and retreat centers and things like that. For the last decade or so, I mostly make my living as a carpenter. I make furniture, I make wardrobes and things like that. So that's what I've been doing today. I've been painting some wardrobes that I made last week.
0: Fab. One rather sweet thing about this conversation is that Yanagarba and Shudayu, I don't know if you've seen each other much since you were ordained together 400 years ago or whatever it was.
2: <laughs> yeah, 22 years ago. Yanagarba and I were ordained together in 1998 at Skiloka Retreat Center which is in Spain on the course of a four-month retreat. We have those annually there. And it was a long time ago. We didn't know each other prior to that. So we met each other there and became friends and have kept in random contact through social media and various bits of communication since then. But we still feel very close even though we had just four months together in a Spanish valley and 22 years living with an ocean between us.
4: Yeah, it's, it's lovely to see you and uh, speak to you. It's curious because there were a lot of us on that retreat. There were people who I barely spoke to in the course of four months, partly because we spent a lot of time in silence, but a few people who I've not met before who, yes, I still feel a strong connection to and a lot of affection for.
0: And we have Sadaisehi, as ever, in Dublin. How is Dublin's fair city today?
1: I think it's all in order. I haven't really been venturing out very much because I'm currently taking up residence in a friend's house. Last week I was based with my parents, but a friend of mine from the Sangha very kindly offered her house as she's moved down to the country. I'm actually here on my own at the moment. For the foreseeable future, it feels good just actually to be somewhere that I'm not presenting a risk to my parents.
0: And as usual, I'm here in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, also in the United States. So it's a bit of a partial podcast. All of my pals in it. Actually, you know, I was just thinking that people listening to this, some of them, many of them, even won't be familiar with our particular Buddhist community. It might not be familiar with our slightly odd Buddhist names. So it'd be good to hear what people's names mean, just to give people a sense of why we have these Buddhist names and what significance they carry. So let's go forward. Shadai, you go first and tell us and what it
2: means. Shadaiu basically means striving for purity. And for those not familiar with Tri Ratna, when we're ordained, we don't choose our own names. They're given to us. And mine was given to me by my preceptor, Sabuti. And he joked, or maybe it wasn't a joke, uh, but when he he gave me the name, there's kind of two parts to it. And the Ayu bit is striving and the Shuddha bit is purity. And he said, I was already embodying authenticity in my practice, which is something of how the purity comes through, and the earnestness of effort, but that I had a lot of purification to go. So that was the teaching in the name. How about you, Shraddha
3: Well, Shraddha means many things, <laughs> but the common translation is faith or confidence in the path. And Vani means voice, so Voice of faith is what I usually say, short term.
0: And what do you have faith in yourself? If you were just summon it, what does it mean to you at the moment?
3: Well, I guess I have faith in practice. That's sort of the story of my own, my own life, is faith in practice and the transformative power of it.
4: How about you, Niana Garba? Niana means knowledge or wisdom. Garba
3: means essence
4: literally it means something like womb or embryo so kind of visceral something visceral so in terms of practice i make sense of it in terms of kind of getting my thinking bit to join up to my feely bit getting those two integrated really more poetically i sometimes translate it as he who nurtures wisdom and um, Sidiya Sihi, what does your name mean?
1: Yeah, so my name means a lioness of compassion. Sadaya is compassion and Sihi is lioness. So my preceptor, Spadramati, she didn't fully tell me why she gave me that name. There was some quip about my hair, which is sort of unruly and unkempt at times. <laughs> that looks a bit like a lion's mane. But of course, when she gave me that name, I had actually shaved it off. So that was kind of a little bit amusing as well. But yes, it's a big name to live up to.
0: Excellent. My name, Chandra Dasa, means slave of the moon, which is also quite a lot to live up to. Chandra means moon. Dasa is an interesting word because it does mean slave, which often provokes a reaction from people. It can also be sometimes used to mean servant. I actually quite like that it has a connotation of there not being much of a choice, which seems quite relevant to the current times. I was talking to a friend about this, about when you're in crisis and you don't really have a choice about how you behave. It does make things a lot simpler. You just have to get on with it. (laughs) That is reality. Reality is a lot simpler suddenly because you don't have to decide what it is. This is what it is. So that's my name. So here we are. This is uh, For some people, this is the second week of shutdown or lockdown. For some people, even the third week if they're particularly conscientious. So in a way, we've all probably done a degree of adjusting to everything being online or almost everything being online. So how's that going so far? How are you finding it, both in terms of your sense of connection to people and also your sense of yourself in isolation, as it were?
4: I don't know whether this will be relevant. I've been curious to see how the tech would work with teaching meditation because I had some experience of doing that about 10 years ago with a large tech company before before things like Zoom were available to the general public and we were using their in-house stuff. I was teaching mindfulness and meditation to them. And I found that quite complicated because I couldn't see people. So I was just talking at my computer. And it did mean, well, I think people just didn't connect in a way. So it's kind of, we started off with quite large numbers and they dropped down. Then there were about six or eight people who stuck and it really worked for them. And we could have a sense of each other because that group was small enough. But I think Largely because we couldn't see each other. It wasn't working very well then. So I was pleased to hear that you can see everybody now and that things have moved on with that. Things change quickly in this field. So I'm glad to hear that's coming along and I'll be interested to hear how that goes. You're in the future now.
2: (laughs) Uh, This week was the first week of, I think, that I've ever actually facilitated any sort of class or meditation online. and I've done three or four different things now. And this is after, I think, quite a few years of not really wanting to venture into online connection in this way. I teach a lot at both centers and in the in-person classes have anywhere from, you know, six to 18 people, depending. And it's always been quite important for me to see people and to have that kind of physical proximity. And I was, I think I was resisting going online because I wasn't quite sure what it was going to be like without that physical proximity and the kind of naturalness of interacting in person. But actually, right from the first class, one thing that struck me is it actually felt quite intimate in a way. Part of that, I think, was that people are more vulnerable right now. People are, to some extent, experiencing more anxiety and uncertainty about what's happening. So I felt like people were more vulnerable and despite not being physically close i felt quite close to some of these people even though i didn't know them so i felt an immediate connection both in the introductory course i did and also in our regular sangha gathering both at Arya Loka and at the portsmouth buddhist center where there were more people that I actually did know quite well it felt unifying it felt connecting uh, and i was really grateful for it i felt it was therapeutic for at least a few of us just to be able to see each other and talk to each other and share what was going on?
3: I guess, well, I've done quite a lot of virtual meetings, but Zoom has really lifted the quality of this a lot higher than what I'm used to. So like Shadayu, I have no problem feeling connected in groups meeting like this. And I think that's been really great. I would say for my family, We've started having Zoom meetings. So here in Portsmouth, my husband lives on the other side of town and I live over here. We have a daughter and son-in-law and a granddaughter who live not too far away and then a daughter and her partner in California. And the granddaughter has been a big part in particular of my husband's life. And so this has been a huge disruption. And it's just been amazing just to be able to be online for an hour and joke around and see her or have them call and have her read to one of us or something like that. So, you know, if you think back to what this must have been like in 1913 or whatever, I think we're blessed that we have this technology. I've been really feeling that strongly. Very thankful to be so connected.
4: You know, My life hasn't changed much, really. What's changed is that I'm not spending all my time in an empty house now. I'm spending my time in a house with some other people who are sort of trying to get on with their lives because mostly I spend my time in people's houses while they're at work and I'm building, a thing. in the UK. is not on lockdown. I think we might get put on lockdown about half past eight tonight. There's about to be an announcement. Mm -hmm. The weather's been gorgeous here the last couple of days and I had the good fortune to go out to the countryside for a beautiful walk yesterday. And what we noticed... When we were out and I've heard it from sort of other services that younger people are less good at the social distancing thing where you have to keep two metres away from people. We were finding as we were sort of walking around the countryside that the more mature people were doing that quite carefully and the younger people were not paying any attention to it at all. So I think there's going to be some sort of greater restrictions. I think more of our shops are going to close down in the UK this week and that's going to make more of a difference. It's certainly going to make a difference to me earning a living. It hasn't hit in 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 the same way in London, for me anyway, personally, as it has for other people. Because I'm self-employed and I don't have a place of work, it's just made me very anxious about how I'm going to earn a living over the next three months. Because there aren't any sort of systems set up to support that. But also very grateful for our national health system. I'm very grateful that if I do get ill, I'm not going to have to bankrupt myself.
1: I guess for me, because I work for the Buddhist Centre online and I work from home, in a certain sense, this hasn't affected me. Terribly. Although what's been interesting, actually, is in terms of my personal life and my connections with my local sangha, everything has gone online. Everything. There are people who I haven't seen in a while who are contacting me, asking if we could Skype. I've been finding that quite intense because it's coming alongside at the same time with less and less. Well, and to the point of hardly any contact with people in person. So I've, I've been finding that quite strange. Yeah. So on the one hand, it's this strange experience of a load of connection online. It feels like everything is happening online and very little is happening in person, which just feels like a very strange state of affairs, actually. Some form of cognitive dissonance, I think. (laughs) I guess one of the things, maybe it's picking up on something Yana Garba said, you know, from your experience of doing things online with meditation courses and classes in the past. And it's one of the things I've been reflecting on now that we're all sort of rushing to go and put things online is how do we do this well? How do we translate things from being in a class when you have that sort of personal contact with people and you sort of can rely on certain sort of things you might do in person, gestures even, that don't necessarily translate that easily onto an online context. But also things like, for instance, on Friday, we wanted to finish by chanting a mantra. And if anyone has ever done chanting online, it doesn't quite work so well. So we had to sort of figure that out. And What we compromised on was that one person would chant and everyone else would mute themselves and join in. And I thought that worked quite well. So I think there's loads of things like that, that, you know, unless you have to actually really sort of think about it, it's basically translated. So I guess I'm sort of interested in that process. I guess I'd be curious to hear if you've had any experiences or any thoughts around how we might go about doing this, how we might do online things really well.
4: I don't have any great ideas, but what it makes me think is that we're finally taking a step that we were talking about maybe 15 years ago when we were first sort of having conversations about the Buddhist center online. We were saying, well, actually what we want to be doing is providing an online Buddhist center and circumstances are now pushing us to the point where we actually have to try and do that. One of the things that strikes me about the period we're going through is that there are things that will change that will never go back to this, this process social things business things but but how we do communicating the dharma online this is going to push us to creativity and initiate things that we've kind of wanted to do for a long time but not either had the resources or the time or, or the pressure to get to and, and in some respects that's going to be great we'll make some mistakes in the process because that's how things go but there's a bit of me that's quite pleased we finally got there because we were talking about it a long time ago
2: so as i was saying before done some classes now in this format which was quite interesting and the other thing we're trying to work out is how to do retreats in this environment we've been having some discussions about that at Aria Loka. you know of course we had to cancel a ton of events all of April is just off the calendar It's looking like May might be on, you know, who knows how long we're going to have to start emptying calendars. So now we're moving into thinking about day long things or even weekend or longer things and what that looks like and how that could work. We're sort of just starting to get our heads around whether it's worth attempting a full schedule like you'd expect of a and of a retreat but from home or whether it should just be a few hours in the morning and then people get on with their day. So we're sorting that out and working on how to come up with at-home programs for people in the process. I guess one of the things
0: that we're hoping to do is to start providing materials for home retreat. And it is quite interesting with Jana Gerber's reflection about However long ago that was, 10, 12 years ago when we first started these conversations, I think it's fair to say there was a lot of resistance to the idea of practice happening in an online space as a kind of discrete thing that was a value in itself. Often it was more like, how do you get people into Buddhist centers, physical Buddhist centers, which of course is a great thing. But I suppose it's at least not either or. Like you can have an online community and also just culturally, Buddhism is now a significant part of cultural awareness in the West, certainly. And therefore what we do online, how we exemplify the Dharma and community online matters. But in this case, it's not either or the only way we can do community is online. So as you say, we have to figure it out and to figure it out is something of value in and of itself, rather than a kind of poor second cousin to what might be considered real practice. So we're going to be doing these home retreats And it's interesting, should I, whether people will do them as retreats, whether they'll give over their whole day some of this practice or whether it's just something that will give the shape and form of their practice a bit more focus. I'll be very interested to see if there is a kind of step up, like a next level in the kinds of ways that we envisage practice online that will be better delivered through better Zoom platforms, etc.
4: I guess it takes something to get us to make a step. There's this line that the chap who won the Oscar this year, he talks about subtitles being the one inch hurdle that people have to cross to get to understand, to start seeing a broader range of movies, things like that, starting to open up the world to them. And often there's a one inch hurdle that we're very frightened to cross, isn't it? as well as being a carpenter, I work as a coach and a trainer. And I was very reluctant initially. I was used to working one-to-one with people. I was used to working with people in the same room and picking up subtle hints and things like that. So I was quite reluctant to start working online with people. And actually, when I did it, I found it was at least in the 90% as a good. You know, the, the, the amount that I lost was way less than I thought. And I think that point that Shidaya made, there's a certain intimacy that it brings up that I hadn't anticipated. So that there is something that's lost and there's something that's gained that you don't expect. And it's quite subtle in a way, in the same way, because human communication is subtle.
3: Yeah. I was just thinking about what Shidai was saying about having retreats online. And I feel like part of the value in it, given our situation, is just to provide some structure for the day. You know, you have something and then you go off and you have some quiet time and then you come back and have a Conversation. I feel like the lack of structure in the days around practice, where there is more time, but it's very easy to let those times slip by. So I feel like just offering that set of things that would happen during the day that you could plug into and then process and then come back would be a really nice contribution. Yeah, I think
1: this reflection about how a retreat might look is a good one, isn't it? Because this sort of assumption is that if we're doing things online, we have to pretty much replicate what it would look like in person. Now you're doing it over a computer screen and it's like, well, actually, it doesn't have to be like that. It's not going to be the same. So therefore, make it work for the context it's in. So I think that's a really interesting what you were saying, Shidayu, about maybe a few hours at the beginning of the day would work for an online event rather than trying to Live stream the whole day <laughs> or something.
0: I don't know if it's a parallel, but one thing we've noticed in our online team, we've had an experience of online team now for several years, and one thing that's really noticeable is that meetings are different online and sometimes they're better. They're not always better, but you see more of people's lives. So, one of our colleagues has got a young daughter, she's frequently in and around the call, and she's learned a kind of etiquette of not interrupting too much. But there's something about meeting with somebody regularly, sometimes daily, and seeing their partner and seeing their home and seeing their children and like just being aware of this person in their fullness while you're talking about something very specific and focused. And from a long experience of being in many meetings in Triratna, in many rooms, like you arrive in the room as a person and all of that is outside of the room. It's just not there, it's not visible, it's not explicit. And that's actually been quite transformative for the way we work. It's just having to really take in the fullness of people's lives and I think there might be some sort of analogue there between that and the kind of thing we're feeling
4: around for own retreats and being creative about how we engage with the context. It occurs to me as we're having this conversation that actually I've seen people who've been doing online community for years and at first I didn't realise what it was. You know, I I was joking earlier, I spend a lot of my time in other people's houses whilst they're not there, whilst I'm building furniture for them. The people who I come into contact with are their cleaners. I live in London, it's a very multicultural place. And so a lot of the people who are doing cleaning work are often Central Europeans. And I remember being in a house and I didn't understand why the lady cleaner was wittering away to herself in whatever language it was that she spoke that I didn't understand. And I gradually came to realize that actually she was just online to somebody all the time and that they were just chatting to each other. And sometimes there were big gaps and it wasn't like they were having, they weren't having a phone call, which is what I was used to, and then putting the phone down. They were just online to each other all the time and they would pick up and put down a conversation in the same way or more if you were in the same house or in the same room as each other. They just happened to be in different countries. And that's remarkably common. So a lot of people who've left their home countries are doing that sort of thing. And I wouldn't have known about it if I didn't spend my time lurking in other people's houses, filling my lungs with MDF dust.
3: Well, there are also other groups have been working virtually, you know, these global initiatives and things like that have been using technology like this for a long time. And they have large conferences and Zoom has the capacity to break people up into little sub groups for conversations and then bring them back. And just as you would in a Buddhist center, get people to talk in small groups. So I feel like we do have a ways to go to learn the technology better and really maximize its benefit to us and get much more creative.
0: A nice kind of full circle thing is that the first event we ever did as the Buddhist Center online before the website was even up was an urban retreat online in 2011. And we are going to use the material or some of the material from that as the first of our home retreats in a couple of weeks' time. Partly just the sweetness of that, the fact that here we are and hopefully we'll be able to do it much better and use technology to improve everybody's experience. I thought we might finish just as a lot of creative, very open-hearted generosity going on online from all sorts of fields. People just curating fantastic things for each other to keep people amused, to keep their spirits up. I wondered if we could each say maybe what it is has inspired us like, from a wider realm. The example I think I'm probably thinking of is the actor Samuel West, very good English character actor, quite well known as an audiobook reader. Just every day he records a poem of his choice, And he also takes requests on Twitter if you want to follow him. He just records a poem and puts it up for free online. And he's building up a steady playlist. I think we'll share the playlist on the Community Toolkit on the Buddha Centre Online, which you can join. But I just found it incredibly moving listening to him and then some of his actor friends coming in and just giving something that they, you know, it's what they can do. It's what they're good at. And you can see the relief. And also I watched a guitar lesson that a well-known musician was doing on instagram teaching people how to play her songs which was great and really interacting and you could see that actually for her it was it was really great it's probably very different from her normal life as a very successful musician just direct to people's lives and uh, Rufus Wainwright the singer is also recording a song live every day in his bathrobe you can go just watch him in his bathrobe singing to you on the internet
4: it's totally delightful I downloaded a collection of short stories from an author called Adrian Tchaikovsky, and so I've been reading those. So there's quite a lot of authors who've put out sort of, yeah, particular collections of things that have been published elsewhere or little collections that they're sending out for people. There's, there seem to be a whole bunch of people who are just giving away bits of their work to people, which is lovely. Yeah, it's lovely just, well, it's it's the phrase you used, Chandradasa, that the people are doing what they can do. They're giving what it is that they do away, at least in some degree. We're seeing, as I think Parami said in the last of these podcasts, in some ways we're seeing the best and the worst of people brought out by this experience. We're seeing people fighting over toilet rolls and we're seeing people giving wholeheartedly of themselves.
3: I've been just really noticing the power of organizing generosity online, the different things that can give to and very targeted to different groups. And. Just in Portsmouth, there was an article in the paper today about a couple of young women who are making face masks, and they posted it on Facebook, and now there are 30 people making face masks and other people donating fabric and stuff. So just the capacity to mobilize and seeing many more people taking charge and doing, like you say, doing what they can and using the internet to mobilize others to join them, it's really great.
1: I guess some of the things that probably aren't so much things in the public domain, but just sort of interpersonally that people are sharing. So I'm just thinking of one video that Samud Daka, who works for our team, he shared just with our team a video that a song his dad recorded. I don't actually know his dad. I don't know if his dad is a musician, but he was sort of like a one man band and he'd written a song called The Isolation Blues. And it was just very funny, actually. It had a nice sort of homemade feel to it which I don't know was just kind of heartwarming and similarly a friend of mine today sent on a video the Dublin center team had intended to go to the Sicker training week in Vdrasme in the UK so this is part of a year long event that we've been doing. Yeah, so with our team, we were we were going to have a cultural evening and I had suggested that we do Irish dancing for fun. But of course, that, that week is now being cancelled. Anyway, my friend just sent me a video of him doing some Irish dancing in his back garden today. And again, that just really lifted my spirits just to see him just being playful and, I don't know, having a bit of fun, you know, despite all that's going on. It just gave me a bit of a laugh. So they're not going to be on YouTube, but, <laughs> but I really enjoyed them.
2: I started using a new app, which has been quite amusing, (laughs) called Marco Polo. And me and my wife, Lana Chandradasa, his wife, Laura, and our good friends, Seth and Isis and their child, Mitra, little girl named Mitra. We've been using that to make silly videos to send to one another. You can alter your voice and do fun things with it in that way. I've enjoyed, for instance, using the app to change my voice and read children's poetry and then we've also done more outdoor things. You know, we're obviously avoiding any sort of closed public arena, but uh, we live very close to the beach in various walks. And so we've managed to stay connected with some folks by doing that and just keeping a good distance from them. But I suppose the only other thing online I've noticed is people kind of coming together and people falling apart on social media. You know, a lot of the falling apart has to do with people arguing over what's the best approach to this whole conundrum and Locally, we've got a, an outdoor gear store that has been open and full of people. And that's been a source of local controversy because they're actually selling a lot of guns, but they're also selling things like water purifiers and that sort of stuff. So there's some folks feel it's justified and they're being open. But of course you can imagine the controversy that creates in the town Facebook groups. I don't know if you have town Facebook groups in the UK, but they can be pretty vicious sometimes. So that's an example of things falling apart where people are just arguing. But our arts community has been very vocal online. And a lot of our nonprofit arts centers have teamed up to kind of mutually fundraise. So we have a very active theater scene and music scene. And of course, they're dead now as well. They're not bringing in any money. And so they're making really good collective efforts to support themselves during this time. And it's very hopeful how people have been kind of responding to that.
0: That's actually quite a nice way for us to move gracefully out of today's episode as we come to the end of it. Because tomorrow we'll be having another conversation about interconnectedness and how to move past the sense of isolation, the language of isolation. And that's a really great example isn't it, of just people being aware of each other and not necessarily waiting for governments to sort everything out. It's more like, how can we help each other? How can we hold each other in awareness? Thank you for holding our community in awareness today in this conversation. I'd like to thank all of our guests. Shadavani.
3: Goodbye from Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Be well.
4: Yanagarba. Goodbye from London. Be excellent to one another. Shdayu. Take care. Signing out from
2: Kittery Point, Maine. Shadayu Sihi,
1: Goodbye from Dublin. Chat to you again.
0: It's been great to have your company today. We look forward to seeing you tomorrow. In the meantime, don't forget morning meditations or afternoon meditations or evening meditations, wherever you are you can go to thebuddhacenter.com forward slash toolkit and see when those meditations are happening near you. Come and join us. It's absolutely delightful. I can promise you that. And you can also join the community space itself where you can share your own resources, tell us what inspires you, help people connect, help people stay connected with each other. And we'll see you again for another episode of this podcast tomorrow evening. Goodbye from me, dasa. Goodbye from everybody. See you again soon.